um, the love your neighbor idea starting last week and this is our current uh, series so love love thy neighbor I don't know every you remember the 1970s television series which was pretty awful from what I can see in terms of <laughs> it's uh, it's comedy content but that's the 1970s for you um, love your neighbor love your neighbor um, as a church our aim is to be most of all for Jesus uh, we say we're for Jesus we're for Kidderminster, uh, but most of all, we are for people generally. <coughs> and if you ask people in the street what they thought Christianity was about, some of them might come up with this. Oh, love thy neighbour, you know. If you, as long as you live with peace, at peace with your neighbour, then everything will be fine. Some of them might mention Jesus, but perhaps uh, for most people, when they think of what being a Christian is, it's not about being a follower of Christ, it's about being Christian, by which they mean being loving and kind and, and nice to people. Uh, and um, if, if actually that's, that's the message that they're getting, well, that's, that's part of it, that's good, because it means that Christianity is something that is a force for good in the world. But we know, those of us who are Christians, that actually being a Christian is First of all, about our belief, our belief that Jesus came, that he died for us, uh, that he reconciles us with our Heavenly Father, and that as a result, we are kind. We don't go out to be kind and loving and good in order to earn our place in, in heaven. We do it because we already have a place in heaven, that, that Jesus lives in us, his Holy Spirit fills us and helps us to be better people, and that's our response to God's love for us. It's not something we do in order to gain God's love, going out to say, what can we do today? Adam spoke last week to introduce the theme, and uh, he stopped short of the story that Jesus tells as a result. So we're going to look at that this week. So Luke 10, 25 says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a question, actually, that a lot of people are asking. What, it, what is the meaning of life? You know, if, if we think about the people that we remember in history, we remember them because uh, they've done something that, that reminds us of their life. What is, our, what is our life significant for? How do we impact other people? Will other people remember me when I die? And when I've died, where do I go next? What's the next stage? That's the question that most people ask themselves when they look, look at their lives and saying, am I making a difference here? Does it make any difference at all? As Christians, we believe at the end of this life, we will go on to live another one, that, that we have eternal life already, that we have life in all its fullness, we can enjoy life here now, we can have joy even if we're sad at times, uh, but that we will go on to have eternal life. This expert in Jewish law believed in the resurrection of the dead, but he wanted to know how could he obtain it? What should I do to inherit eternal life? Some people, of course, have concluded there is no life after death, and they just want to make a difference while they're here. Uh, well, they're, they're humanists, but they're not people of faith. Other people of fa other faiths answer the question about eternal life in a different way. But for us as Christians, we say, actually, we want to 
make a difference because Jesus makes a difference in our life. Jesus actually doesn't answer the question. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is where I get, we get our, the our theme from, love thy neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So it's such a good answer that the man gives, such a good answer that Jesus himself, when asked a similar question, in the final week of his life, much later on, comes up with the same thing. So he's debating with religious leaders. If you, look, if you were to look at Mark for the last Easter week of Jesus' life, we get this text. Uh, well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one, there is no one but him. To love him with all your heart, this is Jesus saying this, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So Jesus says, love him, love God, love your neighbor. The man says, it's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So if we're looking at a life that makes a difference, actually, we can sum up the law, all the, the Old Testament law, the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, all the other pages and pages of the Bible saying how people should behave by saying love God and love other people. And that was so good about this teacher of the law that was talking to Jesus. He says, he says to him, Jesus says, how do you sum up the law? He says, well, you can sum up the law in these two sentences. Love God love other people. There's this vertical relationship that, that um, Adam mentioned last week and a horizontal relationship. And this man says to Jesus later on, "How do you? what do you say? Jesus says the same thing and we have love him with all your heart and everything that you are. It's more important than burnt sacrifices. The next verse says, when Jesus saw he had us wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. From then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So actually, to get that, to get the fact that if we love God and we love other people, even if we're not Christians at that point, we're already partway there. Because the kingdom of God means love. If we're looking at the life that we ought to be living, then, yep, the man says, you can give burnt offerings and sacrifices. That was their way of expressing their worship to God. In our context, we can say, well, let's be charitable. How much money can we give? How much money can we put in the offering box outside the door? How much money can we give to charity? But actually, that's maybe loving other people, but it's not loving God. We might be saying, how much can we worship? How much can we show we love God by by?" Uh, expressing ourselves when we gather in church. But that's not loving other people. There's this, this match. We have to love God with every fiber of our being, but we also have to love other people. And recognizing that means that we're not far from the kingdom of God. But there is an obvious question begging to be asked. So the first question, back to this religious leader who was testing Jesus, he 
has said, yep, yep, we've got to love God, we've got to love our neighbour. What's the question? Well, that comes on the next verse in Luke. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Okay, so that's an obvious question. If I've got to love my neighbour, how do I do it? He wants to justify himself. Now, to justify yourself is not to say, this is the excuse for why I haven't done any of my homework or um, whatever. Just justify yourself is to put yourself right with God. It's not an excuse afterwards. It's a, I am not right with God. I want to be justified in God's eyes. And this man wants to love God, but he wants God to know that he loves him and he wants to show that he loves his neighbour. But who is my neighbour? How far do I have to go to fulfil that obligation? How far? Love thy neighbour. Who is my neighbour? So it's a crucial question for us too. We love God with all our heart by responding to him emotionally. You know, if you don't love God with all your heart, then you're just... You're thinking about it, perhaps. We can love God with our mind by choosing to follow Jesus. We can love him with, a, with our soul by allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us. And we can love him with our strength by serving other people, okay, giving our energy to spreading the good news. But what does it mean to love your neighbour practically? How far do we have to go? So the next verse in Luke says, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. I've been on the modern highway from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a nice, fast road, a nice, smooth journey in an air-conditioned coach. And um, here's a portrayal of the actual old route. Uh, so if you have a look, there are, there's a green line there showing going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. This is uh, a map produced by a man called Stephen Miller who's got a, a website called casualenglishbible.com which is quite a good source material. But if you have a look, there's a load of mountains and you're going down and down and down to Jericho on the plain. That is about 20 miles and... Um, it's downhill all the way. It's about um, half a mile you're dropping over that route. It's down, down, down through a wilderness. This is what the road looks like, the old road. Next slide, please. There you are. Look, look at that. Absolute wilderness. There is nothing there. You go up the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. It's all green. You get to the top of the hill. You go over the hill. You're faced with that. There is nothing. It's the other side of the watershed. And as you can imagine, there are lots of places that robbers could hide. So when, the, uh, when Jesus starts telling this story, the religious uh, teacher would have said, yep, I know what you're on about. I know that road. I wouldn't like to travel down that alone. Jesus is using it to illustrate a point. And it's quite reasonable for the questioner to know that a man could fall into robbers on that. All right, okay. It, but Jesus goes on. If I were to say these words, an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman walk into a bar, well, immediately you're thinking, oh, there's a joke coming here. And actually, Jesus is about to talk about three people. Now, a joke like that 
depends on who's telling it as to who comes best out of it. And if I were to say, well, um, you might actually have someone talking about an Irishman who's not very bright, <laughs> or a Scotsman who's quite tight. Uh, and uh, the Englishman, of course, if it's an Englishman telling it, will always come off best. Now, I'm not going to give an illustration because I am the descendant of Irish immigrants, and uh, I have Scots ancestry on the other side of my family. So as an Englishman, I'm not going to even go there. But actually, it depends who's telling the story. You can bet your bottom dollar that there's some racial uh, slur about to come out of this. What does Jesus go on to say? He introduces the first two characters. Next slide, please. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, go back, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So we have our first two characters there of the story that Jesus is telling, a priest and a Levite. So the priest, the job of the priest, the religious leader, is to bridge between people and God. The Pope in Rome is still called Pontifex Maximus, the biggest bridge in Latin. And um, uh, the idea is that a priest stands between people and God so that, that he puts people right with God, stands between God and people so he can tell people what God is saying. As Christians, we're all priests, actually. We are all called to introduce people to God. The Levite... His job was to help the priest. So when the priest was giving his offerings, there were all the law, all the law, the religious law, the Jews said what, what animals you had to sacrifice when in order to put yourself right with God, in order to be justified. The Levite was there helping the priest to make sure everything was done right in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the questioner might be thinking, well, I can imagine why a priest and a Levite would walk by on the other side. The thing is, if... If you look at the law of Moses, it says, if you're in touch with the dead body, you're unclean for seven days. If you're outside in the open, you come across a dead body of someone who's been killed by a sword, which probably this man might have been, then you're unclean for seven days. So a priest and a Levite who may be on their way to the temple, may be going to serve in the temple, which they've got to be clean enough to go into, well, if they start help go across on a dead body, they're going to be unclean. They can't do their work. Or if they go across and help someone who's dying, perhaps he's died while they're looking after him. Horror of horrors. You get a dead body then again. So this religious law lawyer would know that actually there's a problem with a dead body. Apart from the obvious one that you or I might think of, well, perhaps it might be another robber pretending to be dead. You go across and immediately his, uh, others, his conspirators are going to jump out and attack me. So he's thinking, well, perhaps actually the next person in the story is going to be an ordinary person. You have the priest who's the religious leader. You have the Levite helps him out. What about an ordinary person who's just going to come along? Surely he'll help. The ordinary person won't mind being richly unclean for seven days. We'll be able to just... Help this person. But there's a twist. Jesus brings a third twist, a third person. Verse 33, 
says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. So the twist is it's not an ordinary Jew. It's a Samaritan. We know from our history that the Samaritans were people who did not get on with the Jews. They were the enemies of the Jews, in fact. They were descended from people 550 years earlier. 550 years earlier. <laughs> they were descended from people who had not been taken off with the rest of the Jews into captivity in Babylon. And they had some weird ideas of what it meant to worship God, which didn't fit in with what the Jews said you had to do. So they didn't get on at all. And actually, you were unclean if you were a Jew and you spoke to a Samaritan. Now, this feeds into attitudes between people now. You know, we've just had our act of remembrance. And to label someone something simply because of where they've come from, what their ancestry is, is not loving and kind, is it? You know, it's not loving your neighbour. It leads to all kinds of problems. Well, okay, says um, this religious leader in his head, this lawyer. Okay, there's a Samaritan. Uh, yeah, we don't get on with Samaritans, but surely we're going to have a story now about what the Samaritan does. He's going to perhaps kick this man who's while he's down or see if there's anything still left worth taking. Because he's a Samaritan. You know what those Samaritans are like. <laughs> but Jesus gives a different story. He took pity on him. He went in, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's two pence, two days' work, gave them to the innkeepers, look after him, he said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Here is someone who is an enemy of the Jews, who is looking after this man. He doesn't actually look to see if he's a Jew. He's a person in need, and he is generous towards him. He's loving towards him. Now, he turned out to be a good Samaritan. Who would have thought that Samaritans could be good? This this lawyer is thinking to himself. Just as he's processing this, Jesus asks whether the question has been answered. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. You will note that when Jesus answered the question, he didn't actually say, as we might think he said, who's my neighbor? Who's the person who's going to be my charity case? Who, who, do I have to <laughs> who do I have to serve? Who do I have to help? He talks about the neighbor being the person who has mercy. So he turns it round. He might have said, Okay, uh, you've got plenty of food and you've got um, someone who you can share it with. Who are you going to invite uh, for a meal? Is it going to be A, the Levite who serves in the temple, who's got no land of his own and relies on offerings in order to uh, be supported? Is it going to be B, a widow or um, someone who lives within your uh, community who's a foreigner? 
who has got no family nearby to look after them? Are you going to invite them round for a meal? Or is it going to be C, a Samaritan who everyone hates? If Jesus had said that, the guy would have said, yeah, I, I know what my answer is. The Levite's probably doing all right because everyone takes sacrifices quite regularly to the, uh, the temple. Uh, the widow or the foreigner probably will need the help. And the Samaritan, well, who's on earth going to help a Samaritan? If Jesus had told that kind of story and asked that kind of question, he'd have known where he was. But actually, Jesus does not say that. He says, there's this good Samaritan. We don't catch the, the, the meaning of that because we're not first century Jews who hate the Samaritans. But we can all think of someone actually who we wouldn't want to help, I'm sure, because of our prejudices or because of who we are. So Jesus says there's three kinds of people in this story. Who are we looking out for? Which of these three is the neighbor, he says? A, the priest, B, the Levite, C, the Samaritan. And the man says, well, the one who shows mercy. But what do they mean for us today? So first of all, the priest. The priest today might be someone who you would say was a holy person. I'm not talking about someone who is a priest. I'm just talking about what is our concept of someone who, who bridges the gap between God and people. Yes? Someone who might be very holy. Someone who might spend a lot of time reading their Bible. Someone who's deeply prayerful and say, uh, let me have your prayer requests and I'll put them to God and help you out. Someone who uh, is so full of the Holy Spirit that they pass through life serenely. You know, you can see the joy in them because nothing seems to faze them. But is their saintly smile an excuse for not getting involved in the messy lives of others? The priest walked by on the other side because he had important things to do. Some people, you, you think, actually, are, are they interested in me or are they just interested in, in God? You know, um, uh, what, what, what's the connection here? That's where you are loving God vertically but not loving horizontally. Uh, some of you will know Steve Robinson, who's uh, the pastor at Riverside in Bewdley. He told me a story once. He went as a visiting preacher to another church and he was there just to speak. Uh, there were people organizing the, uh, the service beforehand. While they were in the church building, the service had started, there was a huge crash outside and they went out to see what was going on. And there, there had been a very serious car accident. People were gathering around, trying to sort stuff out. And Steve said, we need to help these people who are onlooking process what's happening here. And the person who was in charge of the church said, no, no, we need to go back into the church the word of God needs to be preached. Now that, I would suspect, <laughs> is, is being so holy-minded, you're no earthly good. And uh, Steve told me that as an example of when he felt lowest as a visiting preacher. You know, what is the church about? We do not just gather to worship God. We're here to make a difference to people's lives. We have to be prepared to interrupt our focus on God in order uh, to show that we love our neighbour. Church is more than a place just to have a bless-up party. B, the Levite. 
what's a Levite? Well, the person who is a Levite today is the person who is so busy doing everything in their diary that they have no time to help anyone in need. You know, and you can't be interrupted due to a sudden crisis because you have a to-do list to do. Or the person who is so busy serving other people that they don't have time to worship God. I know the more than one person over the years has told me that they come to church on their own because their other half is at home cooking the Sunday lunch. <laughs> what does that say, you know? Uh, my mother, about such people, would say, they must think we don't eat. <laughs> it's just, uh, 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 you know, fair play to them, cooking a nice Sunday lunch for their, 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 their spouse coming back from church. But, hey, you know, why are you having a Sunday lunch? What's special about Sunday if you're not involving God in it? So a Levite is someone who is perhaps involved in serving other people, loving the neighbor, but not loving God. See, the Samaritan. The Samaritan today is the person who is just not quite like you. The person who is of the wrong or a different gender, if you don't get on with people who are of the gender, or age bracket. The person who is from another culture. The person who is from another social class. The person you feel awkward being with. They may be awkward with you. They may be socially awkward. They may be demanding. They simply may be difficult to spend time with. When we're called to love our neighbor, we are called to love as we love ourselves. And that means everyone is called to love everyone, regardless of what perception you have of them. If humanity took this on board, there wouldn't be wars. We wouldn't have, in the First World War, people saying, we need to fight the Germans, they eat their babies. <laughs> Actually, I heard Donald Trump saying that about Republican Party supporters, so, um, which is rather strange, as he wants a Republican Party nomination. Uh, we wouldn't have people saying in Israel now, uh, we need to um, uh, get rid of Hamas, but actually expanding that to the Palestinian population generally. We wouldn't have the Arab nations saying, well, you know what the Jews are like, we need to get rid of Israel. You wouldn't have the Russians saying we need to invade Ukraine because they're stopping our people from being Russian. You wouldn't have the Ukrainians saying we need to fight back because, well, you know what the Russians are like. When you think about it, there are very few choices. All those people that we heard about who went to war, horrifying 12-year-old boys are fighting in the trenches. They all went because their governments told them we're at war. We don't have very much say in who our government is. Every five years we get the chance here. Uh, other people have even less choice about who their government is. How we respond to each other as individuals impacts on what difference we make. 
the question of how can we have eternal life, I talked about it being also significance. What difference can we make? We can only impact the people that we have interaction with. But Jesus said we should love others regardless of whether they're like us. James, the brother of Jesus, had something to say about this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? He goes on to say, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous or justified for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Love God, love your neighbor, is what he's saying there. The lawyer testing Jesus was asking, how can I do it correctly? Who is my neighbor? He was focusing on this. The what behind the why. So if God says I have to love him, and if the law of Moses says I have to love my neighbor, what is it I have to do? I know the why. God loves me and therefore I have to love others, but I have to love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? What is it? Who is it that I have to reach? Actually, Jesus says there's no limit. You can't say, I'm only serving Jews because I'm a Jew. You can't say, I'm only helping this person because they're like me. He said we should be focusing on this, the why behind the what. If we love our neighbor, that's what we're doing. But the reason we're doing it, the why we're doing it, is because God first loved us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not die but have everlasting life, eternal life that the, uh, the guy was asking about. God did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came as Jesus so that we can be saved from the world. And as we're saved from the world, we save the world. So as a church, as a Christian church, everyone is called to love others because God loves us. This church here, Kidderminster Elim, says that we are for Jesus, we are for Kidderminster, and we are for people. We love Jesus, we love Kidderminster, not the buildings in it, the people in it, and we love people. That's why we do what we do. Final question. <coughs> it has been commented that this is an American uh, logo that we've got. Yeah, it's useful. It's useful to have. What's missing from the logo? You, exactly. So a little cheesy comment. <laughs> you are missing <laughs> if you do not love your neighbor. Oh, there you are. It's a gift to me, really. Uh, love thy neighbor. We are all part of loving our neighbor. And that means we have to ask ourselves, what is it that I have to do? Just as the expert in the law was saying, who's my neighbor? Actually, the response is it depends. It depends on who you can help, what you can do. We're all capable of doing something. We may not find there's a car, uh, a car accident we need to help, 
we may not find that there's someone being robbed lying in the gutter, but there are all kinds of situations where we can help. And things do not need to be going badly for someone for them to have to feel loved. Jesus came not to help people who were just messed up, but to help people, all people, because our lives, even if we think they're perfect, are not perfect if they're only about ourselves. <coughs> Our lives need to make an impact on others because Jesus made an impact on us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you loved us when you sent Jesus. When you came in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to show us what love is. We thank you that we are able to respond. We are able to carry on the mission of Jesus by being Jesus in our communities. We pray, Lord, that just as war starts because of hatred and a difference, and just as we can feel differences between ourselves and others, we pray that we will bridge that gap, that we will love others despite their differences, that we will see people through your eyes, that we will be available to be Jesus for other people in the way that we love. The supreme example you gave was dying on the cross. We remember people who died today for our security and safety and freedom. But we remember you most of all, Jesus, because in the end, whatever life throws at us, we know we have eternal life in you. And we pray that we will be able, in our own small ways, to make a difference, to give fuller lives to people, to bring hope where there's despair, to bring assistance where help is needed. Thank you, Jesus, that you tell us to do that because you loved us. Amen.